Thank you, Mark, and thank you, Sam. Okay, I want to cast your mind back a little while. If you think back perhaps a long time ago through the mists of time and the fog of winter that's just lifting, right back to the start of the year, if you can even remember what January was like, um, you might remember making some New Year's resolutions about things that you were going to do this year. So perhaps we made some resolutions about getting fit or getting healthy, maybe. To, maybe this year was the year we were going to learn a new language or renovate the house completely. And perhaps you made some resolutions back then about praying more, getting closer with God or something like that. Now, if you're like me and about 95% of all people, I think those resolutions have probably faded a little uh, between then and now. Perhaps they've been gently put to bed. Uh, the resolutions, maps, they start to peter out over the year. If we're very fortunate, we do a few of them. But the great thing is, of course, isn't there, there's always next year. And there's also a year after that, because we know what it's going to be like in 2020 as well. Um, so just think about it. Why is that? Why are the resolutions that we make so hard for us to keep? And how do we genuinely pursue the kind of change in our lives of the long term that we really want? That's, that's symbolised by these resolutions that we make. Well, those are the topics, I think, that come up in our Bible reading today. These are topics of resolution, topics of perseverance, and what it means to do that with God. So, as Narelle said, we're continuing the story of Nehemiah. And this is a man who had a calling from God to rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem after the exile of the Jewish people in Babylon. So, as we've heard, our series this term is on building up, and it's about a period that we read about in the Old Testament during the 5th century uh, BC when the Jews were recovering from the destruction of their nation by the Babylonian armies and restoring their life in their promised land with God. And we've seen that this time of restoration was actually a very long journey of faith for the Jewish people. So they start looking at the prophecies of Jeremiah and others about the restoration that God's going to bring for them we move through to the start of the return to exile in the time of the Persian Empire when people start to come home. The slow rebuilding of the temple, the time of Ezra and the reinstatement of the law of God. And finally, we start to hear about Nehemiah and this project that he had, which was to complete and rebuild the physical fabric of Jerusalem. And in the past two weeks, Jerome and Chris have opened up for us Nehemiah's character and his calling about what God wanted him to do. So Nehemiah, we heard, was someone who saw the ongoing devastation of his people in their city and God had called him to do something about it. He was troubled by it and he identified himself with them and their failures and he took responsibility for his own part in making it right. And so he put himself forward then and he used the skills and the opportunities that God had given him to initiate this project of rebuilding the walls and the, and the other buildings of Jerusalem and finally gathered together the people of Jerusalem to work with him. Now, there are a few builders among us, I believe. Uh, is anyone here building their own home or done so recently? Yeah, a few of us, yeah. Um, if you've been through that saga, you might understand perhaps the size and the complexity of the task that Nehemiah gave himself to rebuild the walls. You know what it's like a building project, the physical and the material and the financial and logistical challenge of a massive building project, particularly one of this size. Now, Nehemiah might have had it slightly easier than us because there were no council regulations at the time and permits for him to get. 
so that was made it substantially easier. But still, it's a big project. And we know when we do that kind of thing, there is a need to confront the reality of what it means to build and the difficulty of it, um, the practical matters of building things well. And that's not just the case in construction, but also when you do anything significant, when you build anything that has um, substance to it, any major project that we undertake in life, it is, can be very complicated. And so as we read this story of Nehemiah's building project then, I think in one sense it's provided for us, as in the Bible, as an illustration for us of this process of what it means to build something with God. Uh, the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the exile, it was a long and complex challenge and it was sustained by the hope and faith that these people had in God's promise to them. And so the Jews were looking forward to the time when they would experience the presence of God in the way they'd hoped and his kingdom would come. And so the same is true for us in our building projects and our things that we do with God. Because I, I think that everyone who is a Christian is actually building something with God in some way. So we are maybe building our own lives as people who know God and who want to serve Christ in the world. That's a project, something that we do over time. Uh, many of us are building our families as places where we and our children and our relatives and friends can come to know God. Uh, many of us are building into our local communities, like our church, our local schools, the other you know, institutions of our town, building places to be healthy and fruitful places where God is at work. That's a building project. And so I think this, this building for us is kind of the meat or the, the main part of our daily life and walk with God in many ways. We, we all have our part to play in God's kingdom, which he's building. He's building it visibly that we can see and also in places that we can't see. And as we do that and engage with that challenge, we are in a sense like Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And so his story and his challenges are a story for us too. So we arrive at part of Nehemiah's story today then. It finds him right in the middle of this process of rebuilding the wall. Now before this, we heard last week about the hard bit that he had to do of getting everyone together and agreeing that they should rebuild the wall and organising people and getting all the materials and everything together. And that's already been done. It's ready to go. So... From then on in, it should be pretty easy, hey? No, that's just when the trouble begins for Nehemiah, when he starts to get to work. And the problem that's highlighted in our passage today is the problem of resistance to his project and his mission. And this resistance that Nehemiah experiences come from several directions at once. And it challenges him to respond appropriately in order to overcome this resistance. So let's think about resistance for a minute. What's the resistance that uh, Nehemiah experiences when he begins to build? So we'll look at the story and how it unfolds. So as we jump into reading chapter 4 as we did today, we hear that Sanballat and Tobiah, who are local leaders... Resistance. <laughs> Can I be heard still? Sorry, that didn't destroy something in the church. Okay, fantastic. Um, all right, so... Sanballat and Tobiah are local leaders of the people who live in Samaria and around Jerusalem, and they're not pleased that Nehemiah is actually getting the wall rebuilt. And we hear they're very angry, they're greatly incensed. Now why? Why are they incensed? Well, it's because a strong wall around Jerusalem is going to threaten their power over the people who lived there. The whole story, as we read of Ezra and Nehemiah in particular, it's punctuated by this theme of the constant opposition to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, by those who have a vested interest in keeping the Jews weak. So they're threatened by this building project. 
So what do they do? Well, firstly, they come up with a tactic that I think anyone who's a schoolyard bully would try. So they insult Nehemiah and make fun of him. So Sanballat gives it a good go first, we hear. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? So he has a go. And then Tobiah gets in with a bit of a sick burn as well. Um, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. I really appreciate that. That's a great, that's a good call, Tobiah. Um, basically, what are they doing? They're trying to discourage them. They're demoralizing them, minimizing what they're doing. They say, what you're doing is foolish. It's inadequate. You're not going to succeed. You might as well stop now. Even if the wall gets built, it'll be a fragile heap of stones. You know, it'll just fall over when the fox runs over it. And so this may make Sam Ballard and Tobiah feel better. We hear it doesn't really do anything to stop Nehemiah. So they get serious and they plot together to attack the builders while they're building. And they also threaten the Jews who live outside the wall of the city. And so this is a serious problem of resistance for Nehemiah and it's a test of his resolution and that of the builders. In the middle of this as well, he finds another challenge. You know, as the building project continues, people start to get tired of it. Now, you might be familiar with this experience. Um, we hear that some of the people in Judah give Nehemiah an update on their feelings in verse 10. They say, Nehemiah, the strength of the builders is running out. There's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. So Nehemiah has this set of problems that come to him as they start to rebuild the wall, these resistances that push against his resolution. And so I want to think about how he responds to that, because firstly, he has to push against a different kinds of resistance. Firstly, he pushes against the physical reality of stone that resists what you want to do with it. There's so much rubble and around that needs to be cleared away before the wall can rebuilt, you know, and the bricks and the stones that are going to make up the wall are heavy and they need to be carried around and done things to. And this is one of the big resistances that happen when you try to build something. There's the physical inertia of things in the material world. So if you think about what a stone is like, um, present company are wonderful, but a stone can be like a small child, you know. It doesn't move when you tell it to move. It will sit there until, it, you know, <laughs> um, forever. Um, and, the, you know, the same, you know, stones don't listen to you. They will just sit there until, until something moves them. And the same is true of other things that have inertia. So when you're building something, you know, there are blockages that come from perhaps the culture or the attitude that, that is in the place around you. So you want to get something done, but everyone will say to you, we've always done things this way, and we're not going to be moved. Um, it's like rubble that can't be cleared away if you want to get started. So there is a resistance that comes just from the world whenever, around us whenever you try to do something, a, a resistance to growth or change or building. So that's one of his resistances. Secondly, Nehemiah comes up against the physical limitations of his people. And so they're pushing and they're pulling all day, all this stone, the stones that don't want to move, and their strength gets used up. And they become tired and they need a rest. You know, people can't work forever or build without a break. That's a resistance to, to, to building, just the limits that we have. And finally, there's a resistance of those people who are his enemies, we've heard, those who discourage what he's doing. So they want to taunt, demoralise, block, attack, and do anything to put up to stop the rebuilding of the wall. And so all these things come together to resist and hinder the work that God's called Nehemiah to do. And I think these resistances that he experienced, they apply to all of us in our own projects, don't they? So we thought about resolutions. Why do our resolutions fail? Why is it so hard to get things done when we know they need to be done and we want to do them? Partly it is because of the resistances we experience from outside of us. 
Now, next week we'll think about the ones inside us. That's a different topic. But there is resistance outside to the things we want to do. It's hard to change our environment and the world around us. There is inertia in the way the world is. Things don't change by themselves. You have to push them. And our lives are often set in the way that they are. And there's so much rubble in one sense that needs to be cleared away before you can even start to do something and build something new. And so we get tired from that effort. We reach our limit. And, and we also often find when we do try to do something new, when you try to change or make some growth or building, there's resistance from forces outside ourselves. There are people who will criticise you, who will judge you for what you're doing, diminish your ability and discourage you and say, this will never work. There's no use trying. And perhaps even cut down or attack things before they get established because they're threatened by it. So no wonder it's so hard to keep our resolutions, and sometimes they fail. There's a lot of resistance to them. I read recently a speech that the author David Foster Wallace, he gave to a graduating group of uh, college students in the United States, and he was trying to express to them this reality about the kind of grind of daily life that they're about to get into and the difficulty they're going to have to keep growing as people uh, in the face of this challenge. He says to them, the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along in a pool of fear and anger and frustration and craving and worship of the self. He talks, goes on to talk about this default setting that they will come up against again and again. This is the way the world works and it will frustrate your, your desire for something greater. So this default setting that he's talking about is the nature of the world that resists growth and change. And I want to say today that nowhere is it harder to resist or to overcome the default setting of our lives is than in spiritual things as followers of Jesus. Because the intention to be a disciple of Jesus means to want to change your life in radical ways and it always, always meets with great resistance. Anyone who's been a Christian for more than a little while will know that this is the case. It is tremendously difficult to change our lives in even the simplest of ways to become more like Jesus. Particularly if we have been living for the same way for a long time without him. There is resistance and inertia that comes from years of habits that involve not worshipping God, not praying to him, not trusting him, not paying attention to him in our lives. The default setting. And there is also the busyness and weariness of life, the limitations that make it easier just to do things as we have always done them. We are tired. There's so much rubble to clear away. It's hard to start. And there are also the sand ballots and Tobias in our lives, um, discouragement of people who don't understand faith or who are hostile or opposed to it or who will mock and discourage people who want to follow Jesus. And even further to that, there is the reality that in following Jesus... Uh, we put ourselves in the line of fire of spiritual forces who do not want people to know God or to change their lives with him. We find a simple reminder of this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9, to 9, where the Apostle Peter encourages Christian leaders to understand the situation that they're putting themselves in by following Jesus. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This is real, he says. 
And it's a reality I've often tended to forget to tell people about when they've decided to become a Christian or to get baptised or take a significant step of faith. And I should really not forget to do that because it's real. It's something we need to be aware of, that in following Jesus, we put ourselves on the front lines of spiritual struggle and resistance. And every time you step forward with Christ and with God, as Nehemiah did, the resistance gets stronger and comes back against you. And I can attest to this myself. You know, every time I've tried to do something new that God's called me to do or enter into a new phase of ministry, that's when I experience heavy weather in the spirit and things that come up that's designed to disrupt my confidence in God and my trust in him. This happens every time. Um, and it's a universal experience in, that I think Christians have. So is it any wonder that so many of us find it hard in the long term to keep our resolutions to maintain our spiritual life with God? and to push forward with the things he wants us to do. So it's worth recognising this reality, as Nehemiah did, so that we understand that there are ways of responding to this kind of resistance to our growth and life with Jesus. Nehemiah shows several strategies that he uses that takes this resistance into account and allowed him to move through the challenge of this to the other side of his project. So the first thing we see is that he responds to the threat from Sanballat and Tobiah by increasing the vigilance and preparedness of his people. So he splits the building crew in half, we heard. Half of those are those who build, and the other half have their weapons ready to guard against attack. And those who carry the materials and who do the work, they also take their weapons along with them. Sometimes they carry a weapon in one hand and do work with the other, which sounds a bit hard to me, but, you know, what do I know? Um, So they can't be taken unprepared, he says. They're ready. And I think this approach of Nehemiah is how the Apostle Paul, or similar to how the Apostle Paul, encourages Christians to approach our spiritual preparedness for struggles. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 to 17, uh, Paul reminds people of how they might be attacked in spiritual things. I always enjoy that some. Um, He gives them some images that we might be familiar with about the armour of God. So Paul says, Therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And many of you have heard that passage many times. So Paul says we need to be prepared for spiritual resistance and the struggle that comes. And the military imagery that he uses makes it sound very exotic and exciting. Um, But if you take away that imagery, what you can hear, what Paul is actually describing here, are actually fairly mundane spiritual practices that strengthen our daily walk with God. That's what he's encouraging people to take up. Um, Things like meditating on the truth of God, doing the right thing in small ways and working with him, understanding the gospel, applying it to your life, praying in faith, asking God for what we need, reading the scriptures. Those are the things he's encouraging them to do. Every day we do those things, he would say, we're more ready for resistance that will come and we'll find it easier to move forward. Put on the armour. It's like with physical exercise, you know, the more regularly you do it, the easier it becomes and you're prepared for the challenges of life because you're more strong. He's saying it's the same in the spiritual life. It's like a preventative action. It stops sickness and debility from overtaking us. So he says the same is true in spiritual things. We prepare and we make ourselves ready. Um, And that's not because there's going to be lots of action or lots of things are going to come from time to time. 
um, but because prevention is the best medicine. So the building crews under Nehemiah, they never actually had to fight when we read, or maybe they had a few little skirmishes, but it wasn't an open war with Sanballat and Tobiah. But just having their weapons ready was enough. It gave them courage to keep going and it discouraged their enemies from coming against them. So when you think about spiritual struggle that Paul's talking about, in my experience, it's mostly a struggle in our minds. It's a struggle about our confidence in God, what we think about what he's going to do, the truth of our salvation and Jesus' victory in the world. It's a struggle for our mind. Um, the main challenge in the spiritual life is to overcome lies that we hear and the hold that they have on us and the fear that they breed in us. And if we do that, it's easy to, easier to stay strong. And so daily spiritual disciplines, Paul says, are the great means to do that, to be ready. So this is what Nehemiah does. He prepares himself and his people. But more fundamentally, Nehemiah in this challenge also remembers who it was who brought him to this point in building the wall. And he takes shelter in this refuge that he has under the protection and confidence he has in his Lord. He remembers this is God's mission, and so he trusts himself to God's vindication and protection, not his own strength. So in verses 4 to 5, the story is interrupted. We hear about Sanballat and Tobiah's insults, but we hear Nehemiah's prayer. So Nehemiah prays in the middle of this, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. He turns himself to God, look, I need your help now. And as we finished our reading in verse 20, he gave these, gave these encouraging words to the builders. Don't worry, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. So Nehemiah knows that in the end, while pushing through resistance, he can actually shelter behind the presence of God and his confidence in God's promises. His God will fight for him. Nehemiah is not the hero of the story, God is. And so he doesn't have to overcome those struggles in his own strength. And Jesus spoke about this and gave this reminder to his disciples before he went to the cross. And he spoke to them about the difficulties they would go through on their journey with him. So he said, I've told you these things, about all these things and trials you're going to have, so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's one of the central meanings of the cross of Jesus for us today, and it's something we're going to think about in a couple of weeks when we look at our theme again, the victory of the cross, which we've been looking at this year. On the cross and in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus is the victor over sin and death and the forces against us in the world. All the ultimate resistance to God's work has been defeated by Jesus. He has overcome it. So in the light of that... We read Nehemiah and we take heart that in the face of resistance and opposition, God fights and Christ fights for us. So, you know, yes, building something with God, building a life with Jesus is hard and it is long and it's full of trouble. And he said, it will be. So don't believe any other, any other way. But it's not something that we do alone. Jesus is the leader of the building project. And so we follow him and he says, I have overcome the world. You know, it's re the reality is we will make resolutions and we'll keep doing it and we're going to keep failing and we often will, you know, perhaps find a bit of despair in that. Um, how many people I know express to me their disappointment in the fact that they keep trying to pray more and read the Bible more and they can't seem to get it to work again and again and again. But that's not the point. It's not us that's trying to overcome the world. Jesus is overcoming the world. We don't have the strength on our own to win the battles that we're called to win and to keep our resolutions. Jesus, but Jesus does. His resolutions don't fail and they won't fail for us. 
The wall is going to get built some way or another under his leadership. So we do what we can, but it's his building, it's his accomplishment. So take heart today, I think, in the spiritual struggle, and I know you're all in it. <laughs> um, Nehemiah says our God will fight for us and he'll fight for you too. So victory is possible and our hope is real. So let's be persistent and brave in the challenges of this week and the rest of the year. So let me pray, though, as we reflect on that today. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to build with you, as you did for Nehemiah, to work inside and alongside you in your kingdom. We pray that for all of us here who face the struggles of life, and particularly the resistance that comes from spiritual things, we pray that you would be our shield, our protector, that you would fight for us, and help us to equip ourselves each day for the struggles that we face. We pray, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome. And we pray in your name you would be our victor today and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.